Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host once again. Hard to believe now, beginning the 16th year of Talking Money. And it's kind of routine for me now on Saturday mornings. I can still remember when I started Talking Money 16 years ago that uh, I was uh, willing to broadcast live on Saturday morning for uh, two or three months. I said, well, let's just give it a try and see how it goes. And now uh, over 15 years later, here we are still enjoying uh, visiting with you folks on Saturday morning. Love being live love being able to answer your questions as you think of them. Of course, that's what we're here for is to answer your questions. I was talking to um, Paul, the, my current producer, and uh, trying to figure out how long he's been doing it. We figured out it was about four and a half years that uh, Paul's been with me. So that means about that, uh, yeah. About that, yeah. So and I've had uh, yeah, that he says that just to make sure we know he really is there. <laughs> I'm not making him up. He's he really is sitting across the, the glass from me. But had uh, a number of producers over the years. Um, so far, haven't been, get, been able to get rid of Paul yet. He's, he's stuck it out. So that's that's pretty good, Paul. So proud of you. Well, thank you. I try. <laughs> yeah, he does a great job for me. And we love to have the questions. That's what I'm here for, is to answer those questions. If, uh, you just send your question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. You can go to the website, TalkingMoneyRadio.com, and there's a place there that says Ask Mike a Question. Click on that, and that's another way to get a question emailed to me as well. So a lot of ways to get questions to me. I mean, this, this program, and I really hate to call it a show, really. We're not trying to be a show. We're trying to be an educational program for you. We don't sell any products. We're here to try to be someone that you can bounce questions off of that doesn't have a hidden agenda, not trying to sell you something. We're not selling insurance. We're not hiding behind annuity sales or life insurance sales or or any other kind of sales. We're here to, uh, to answer questions. I've been a certified financial planner uh, since 1985, so I've been, been in meetings and phone calls with many, many prospects, many, many uh, uh, listeners and clients, of course, that were answering questions all the time. So it's a good chance I've heard your question before, uh, but a lot of people haven't and you haven't gotten an answer to it, uh, that question. And that's what we want to do today is answer those questions. I'll, I'll every now and then pick up some questions uh, during the breaks that you might have sent to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com because it gets forwarded to my regular email address. I've been getting questions for a long time. So I had this bright idea that let me go back as I was looking at some archives as I've got notes that go back to the very first show back in, in January of 2007 and thought, well, let me pick up some questions that we got back then and just curious how those questions compare to some of the questions we're getting now. And are they the same kind of questions? And are those issues still issues that people need to hear about? So I, I went back to uh, the first ones that came across that I'd already printed out and uh, my outlines for that time, I don't even print my outlines much anymore, but I I did back then. 
So I had outlines from, uh, I call highlights, from April 21st, 2007. That was my show that I did April 21st, 2007. So that goes back just a few years. And the first question there that I pulled out was, I turned 70 and a half in August, so I have to take my required minimum distribution. What is the best way to take it out? And of course, now we know just recently that that age has changed from 70 and a half to age 72. So we have another uh, year and a half of grace there to get uh, just having to start taking out the distributions from your required from your IRA or your 401k and so forth. And there's there, the tables just changed. We'll go over those at a, at a uh, later broadcast, but the tables just changed this year on how fast they they need to be taken out. So that you have to make sure you know what the tables are and any custodian you're working with is going to be able to tell you what you should be taking out. Uh, for the most part, most people are going to be taking out just over their lifetime and that number is there and you just simply divide the number that you have balanced as of the end of the year, the previous year, and you take that money out. So he says, I, what is the best way to take it out? So first is when to take it out. So at a, the year you turn 72, so if you turn 72 in January, you actually have till April 1st, not 15th, April 1st of the year following to take your first distribution. So that's the first question you have to answer for yourself is when should I take my first distribution? You can take one out this year and, and satisfy the requirement, no problem. Or you can delay to the next year and say, I'm going to take two out. So as long as you take your 2022 distribution by April 1st of 2023, you satisfied your 2022 requirement for taking out your distribution. But then you also have to take one out by the end of the year of 2023 for your 2023 distribution. So the reason we have recommended people do that, it doesn't happen very often, but it happens frequently enough. Somebody is just stopping work. Let's say this is the year you turn 72 and you just stopped working. So are you going to have six months of worth of income or three months worth of income where your tax bracket is going to be substantially higher or at least in the next higher bracket than it uh, would be the following year when you don't have any employment income. So if you don't have any employment income the next year, you just go to Social Security and go and are living on just whatever you might take out of your retirement plan, then you're hopefully in a lower tax bracket then. So you look at it and say, okay, well, if I defer my first year's distribution to the following year, because I can legally do that the first year that I need to take one out, even though I'll have two distributions that year, then I'll still um, be in a lower tax bracket. And the other thing you also need to keep in mind for this is that your qualified charitable distribution is also something that's available to you at that time. And it also, that did not change. So people, uh, I know several people who have thought that the qualified charitable distribution age got delayed or deferred to age 72, but it has stayed at seven and a half. So one of the things that you want to make sure that you do with a qualified charitable distribution, the year you turn seven and a half, it's a crucial, crucial year. And I'm going to tell you more about that after you get back from the break. But when when you're first taking out your uh, requirement of distribution, it's, it's a fairly simple and straightforward uh, transaction. You just simply have to 
tell the custodian you want X amount out. So if your required minimum distribution is $5,000 or $15,000 or $50,000 or whatever it is, then you would take that out and you pay taxes on it. Now, it doesn't mean you need to spend it. It just means you've got to pay taxes on it. We have many clients who have enough income coming in from perhaps a retirement plan and Social Security that they don't really regularly need the income. So they simply, we take it out, we withhold the taxes, send them on to the Uncle Sam, and then we uh, put the rest of it in their regular after-tax brokerage account. You can't take it out and put it into a Roth. That's not one of the things you can do. But you have to take out, you can take additional funds out, but the mar- the amount that you require minimum distribution has to be taken out. And you just, they just want you to p- take it out and pay taxes on it. Now, the Roth is different. You don't have to worry about that with the Roth because there actually is, there is no taxes when you take money out of the Roth. So we don't, we don't get as concerned about that. And you want to take the Roth out for your own living expenses, probably last, or you want to use that as part of your taxable, your flexibility and part of your tax planning. And we'll talk some more about that as well. But a lot of, a lot of questions that have come in over the years, and this goes back like 15 years to 2007 are some of the same issues that people have nowadays but you want to make sure it's that you're doing it correctly because there's still a lot of misinformation out there about what the rules are and what are the best ways to take some of these uh, funds out but of course we want to answer your questions about IRAs or whatever you have questions about as it relates to money Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com we'll be right back Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. And we're back with more of Talking Money here about 19 minutes after the hour here on Saturday morning. So glad you're with us. We're talking about things that Uh, questions that I received back uh, in 2007. And I'm going to go back through some of these other years in previous and future broadcasts to say, what kind of questions did we have uh, all the way back then and how appropriate and and really applicable are they even today? So we're talking about turning age 72. What's the best way to take your money out? And and really there's there's only one way to take your money out uh, just if you want to live off the money. And that's just, you have to take it out and you pay taxes on it, whatever your, whatever your particular tax bracket. And that's where you want to be careful with the tax bracket, what I call tax bracket creep. Uh, and this is where it helps if, especially if you need the required minimum distribution is required. You have to take that out. And so, but, but trying to plan on how large your IRA is so that you can minimize how much of the required minimum distribution there is. So if your balance is lower, not because it didn't earn as much that year, but because you did something else like a Roth conversion to take that money out. So if you have, and where the window of opportunity really is for for most people is between the year that they retire and the year that they turn 72 and are required to take money out of their IRA. 
So typically when you retire, then your taxable income is going to drop the, the next year, the full year that you are not having employment income. And so you go in a lower bracket. So once you get to that point, many people say, don't ever touch your IRA, your tax deferred money until as late as possible. Well, that that may or may not be the best advice. So for 2021, I'm looking at the 2021 tax sheet. So if you're married filing jointly and your taxable income was $81,050 or less, all right, then you were in no higher than a 12% federal income tax bracket. We're not talking about states now. We have several states that listen to this program. So we're talking about federal. You have to keep your state uh, taxable uh, bracket in mind as well. But 81050 for 2021. Well, if your, if your taxable income, then we're talking taxable, and, and I always try to remind people that that means the part that's after your uh, standard deduction, it's on the second page of your tax return, on most uh, for most people it's not your gross income it's after your deductions and so forth that you'd be able to take that money and whatever that amount is that's what your taxable income is so if you had taxable income of let's say eighty thousand dollars in total after all your deductions eighty thousand dollars and your your marginal tax bracket is twelve percent now if you take out another ten thousand on top of that from your IRA, just because you need it for living, you you need to help uh, purchase a new car if you can find one these days. Uh, Ten thousand dollars, then because you're at eighty and the bracket line is at eighty one thousand and fifty, then you'll have roughly nine thousand dollars that's going to be taxed at twenty two percent. So if you are in a lower in a, at least a twelve percent bracket, and let's say between age 66 and age 72 when you have to start taking your required minimum distribution out then your taxable income let's say is only 50,000 that gives you 30,000 this is married filing jointly you that gives you about $31,000 of leeway that you could start taking money out of your IRA and have it taxed but it'd be taxed at 12% but then that reduces the balance of your IRA so that by the time you reach age 72, then you have less uh, money in there. So your balance is less at the end of the year, which is the the date that we use to help calculate what your required minimum distribution is going to be. So at 1231, then you'd say, okay, wow, because I took out, let's say, 100000 over the last several years, and I still pay 12%, then perhaps when you take out, hopefully when you take out your required minimum distribution at age 72, then the amount you take out still keeps you under, let's say your taxable income is still 50,000. As long as your required minimum distribution is less than 30, then you're still totally going to be in the 12% bracket. But if you didn't take the money out and the balance of your IRA continued to grow, to where the required minimum distribution is going to be more than the $30,000, then anything over that $30,000 is going to be taxed at 22%. So that's what I mean by bracket creep. And you can do the same thing. You don't have to take the money out and just pay taxes on it. You could you could take the money out, pay taxes, and roll it over into a Roth if you wanted to have total tax deferral on it. So depending on what your particular needs are, would it be a long longer-term needs, would depend on what the best strategy would be for you. And of course, that's something we do for our clients. We're looking at those kinds of options and strategies to see which is the best way to take it out, put it in a Roth or not put it in a Roth. 
Because what we really want to do is have flexibility so that when you have to start taking your required minimum distribution out, that and, and that's required, and your Social Security is going to come out, and some portion of that's probably going to be taxable. If you have a retirement plan, that's going to be there's nothing you can do about that. That all has to come out. So trying to plan ahead of time to make sure that your your balance is as low as it, it needs to be to keep you from having that bracket creep. And another thing that we have people do during that period of time that may be that you, you may not do between a retirement age and age 72, but you might do it at age 72. Now I have to start taking out my required minimum distribution. But I still uh, I want to use my qualified charitable distribution and things like that. That's the most tax efficient way typically to make gifts is going to be out of your IRA as a qualified charitable distribution. It's it's like if you have an IRA and you're 72 and you give money, that's the place to give it. There's not I, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't do it from your IRA first. It's really not that much hassle to, to talk with a custodian, talk with your broker, your advisor and say, hey, I want to take out. You know, five thousand, ten thousand a year. I want to give this to to my church every year. Then they can do that. They can set it up on a quarterly basis. So there's a lot of flexibility with those things now. And and what happens is the money comes right out of your IRA. It satisfies or helps satisfy your required minimum distribution, but it doesn't show up as taxable income. So the amount that shows up on the IRA distribution gets reduced by the amount that you took out to go directly to the church or to your charity or some other ministry that you're using. So it never shows up as adjusted gross income. Since it never shows up as adjusted gross income, when you're calculating how much of your adjusted gross income is taxable from a social security standpoint, or let's say medical or whatever, any any, any uh, calculation that requires you to use the uh, adjusted gross income line, that's going to be lower because instead of taking the money out of your IRA and then turning around and writing a check to the charity and then hopefully being able to tax deduct it on your Schedule A, which many people can't do anymore because the standard deduction is so much higher now that you're not even going to get a tax deduction for it. So you're not going to be hurt by sending the money directly from the IRA. It'll come to you and it'll come in the made payable to whatever ministry you select. And then you're going to pass it on to that ministry, and, and they'll use it just like they do for any any uh, any other kind of ministry that uh, that they may have. So that's uh, some that's a lot of stuff going on in there that is is really important to uh, that you um, have a uh, decision to make when you're talking about your um, IRA distributions, those kinds of things. So when you're talking about your IRA distributions, and many people have questions about that. Love to answer your questions about that. Just have a couple minutes here now before the break. But we want to make sure that you understand that bracket creep and that you keep the the amount of distributions that you have that are coming out that are staying underneath that next highest bracket. So you need to understand what your marginal tax bracket is. And so right now, the 12 and 22% break, the one for last year is 8150. Um, I'll try to look it up and see. I forget what it is now for 2022, but it's going to be a little higher than that for 2022. Married filing jointly, if you're single, it's $40,525 for last year. And uh, it's too late for most of you to do something about that, but 
for those of you who still are still working and can still make a, a another contribution to your IRA, and many people qualify for the the contributions to the IRA and don't really realize it. Their spouse can make a even though the spouse is not working, the spouse can make a spousal deduction, a spousal contribution to an IRA, and still have a uh, and get a deduction for it. Uh, even though the the main breadwinner working the husband or wife is a participant in a retirement plan there's certain uh, limitations there but they're still eligible to take that so if, as long as you make that contribution by the end of by the time you file your tax return so for 2021 it's still 6000 if you're 50 or less than 50 if you're older than 50 it's uh, you get another $1000 or $7000 for that so we have a lot more to talk about with that with IRAs and reserve what other reasons are there to take money out prior to age 72 and uh, really be careful if someone tries to get you to take a lump sum out of an IRA to, to fund a life insurance or some of the kind of policy like that we'll be right back with more of talking money Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward, which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from $100,000 up to a million. For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Blue Trust's Everyday Steward advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches, so they can focus on a living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Stewart and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. We're coming up at about 35 minutes before the hour. So glad you're with us today. We're live in the studio here in the upstate of South Carolina at WGTK. Been here for, uh, it's coming on the start of the 16th year, which is so hard to believe. But we've answered a lot of questions over the years, and we want to answer your question, too. So send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or go directly to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and click on the Ask Mike a Question. You can also listen to former programs. We'll go back about six months for the programs that we've recorded and put on there. Many, many different topics. We've had some great ones with Deborah Faulkner, the probate judge, was on a few weeks ago. Uh, John Dodd from our um, Nashville office was on talking about re- your relationship with money. Uh, Mark Elam, our, one of our senior investment strategists at the, on the investment strategy team in uh, Atlanta, has been on giving market updates. So a lot of good information on there that you can get and download as a podcast or however it is that you like to listen to things like that. So we want to help educate you. We're not, uh, as I've, I've always said, the talking money is, gives you the answers you need without the sales pitch. There's no, there's no sales pitch here. Uh, of course, we, we love to have people talk to us about many potentially becoming clients of ours. If, if it's something you think that we can help you with, just love to have that conversation. I've had conversations with several listeners this past week, and we look forward to having a conversation with you as well. Uh, the, the number at our office, 800-588-7526. And if you type in plan, P-L-A-N, that'll be 7526. Another easy way to, uh, to remember our phone number. So love to Love to have you um, visit with us a minute to see if it's something we can help because that's really we're not interested in, in trying to get people as a client unless we think we're really 
a good fit for that person and can add value to their situation. So a couple other comments about the required minimum distribution that I want to make before we move on to something else. Um, the, the One of the questions we had back on April 21st, 2007 that I talked about then was, is there any reason to start taking IRA money out prior to age 72? So already talked about that a little bit to try to minimize the balance that you have that you use for the required minimum distribution calculation that we can lower that amount. So if you can utilize your tax bracket, lower tax bracket between the time you stop working and the time you have to start taking your money out at age 72, then by the time you get age 72 and have to start taking money out, the balance will be lower. So hopefully and that will make the required minimum distribution lower. And hopefully that also, but at least part of that distribution will be in a lower tax bracket to keep you from getting into that, what I call bracket creep and getting you into the next higher bracket and didn't mean to. So having some IRA money, some Roth IRA money, some just regular after-tax money that you have set aside, if you have all three of those buckets that have something in it, then when it comes time that you have to start taking your required minimum distribution out or just have to start taking distributions out to live off of, because you may need more than the required minimum distribution just to meet your income needs. So if that's the case, in order to help prevent you from going into the next bracket, it's nice to have options from different types of accounts. So if you have an account that's non-taxable, that uh, let's say non-taxable means you've already paid taxes on it. So when you take money out, you might have to sell something and you'll have some taxable income there, but it's going to be capital gains and hopefully that'll be zero capital gains and it won't affect your tax bracket uh, at all, If hopefully. But when when you have to take additional funds out of the IRA, you say, well, because I just need it to live off of. Well, if you've got money in that after-tax account or in the taxable IRA, a Roth IRA, where you can take money out of those accounts and not include that as taxable income, that can help keep you below that 22% bracket, maybe always keep you in that 12% bracket. Or, you know, 22, maybe instead of the 20, 12 to 22 bracket, you're talking about the 22 to 24 bracket or the 24 to 32% bracket as the income levels go up. There's, there's different kinds of planning techniques that you want to use to help try to minimize that tax, those taxes. And it's an annual thing. So with our, our private wealth clients, we're looking at them annually to see how can we minimize that bracket creep and and minimize, of course, the taxes that you pay all the time. And one of those ways to do that is to give money away as a qualified charitable distribution. But if you're not seven and a half yet, you can't do that. Uh, the next uh, popular way would be, to, especially now that, we, that you've got any kind of investments, they should have increased in value over the last couple of years and you have some good unrealized capital gains. So, you know, once a year, You'll you'll take a distribution from your um, brokerage account that has these IRA these um, mutual funds or stocks that have gains in them, and what I would do is take the money and transfer it to your donor advised fund. So let's say you take thirty thousand. You're going to give thirty thousand away that year. Go ahead and take thirty thousand dollars worth of capital gains type assets that have unrealized capital gains in them. Use the ones that have the lowest basis have the most gain in them, and transfer that to your donor advised fund. That way, from the donor advised fund, then you can give money out at whatever pace you want to. So instead of giving, let's say, the church all $30,000 at once, maybe you have several different uh, ministries or charities you would like to support. 
So instead of doing that, you put it to the Donors Fies Fund. You can do it with the South Carolina Christian Foundation. You can do it with the National Christian Foundation. You can do it with your own. If you have a brokerage account with Fidelity, Schwab, you can all do it there. I prefer using some of these other uh, foundations that have a, a, a aligned Christian worldview with me. But you can use any of those to do it. And you transfer the funds there. You get a tax deduction. And and you're limited, of course, on uh, especially this year that the rules changed last year, but beginning this year, you have limitations of 30% capital gain property and so forth, but you still be able to carry it forward. So if you, if you transfer those funds to the donor advised fund, and then you get the tax deduction for the year that you do that, and then you simply just take the money out monthly or however often you want to take the money out of your donor advised fund and give it to the different ministries and charities you want to give it to. But that's what gives you the, uh, the tax deduction and eliminates the need for the capital Gain, you paying capital gains tax on that. And even though some of you are going to pay zero capital gains tax on that, many of you are not. So at the higher income levels, this is definitely a technique you want to be considering. And so you never write another check out of your checkbook to the church. You would send those investments, not IRA investments, unless you're 70, 70 and a half, but other investments that are have unrealized capital gains uh, in them and you send them to the donor advised fund or directed to the charity but say to the donor advised fund and then give the money out as from there is where your money should be coming from for the different ministries not out of your own pocket you can do both but what you want to do then is take the cash that you would have given the to the ministry or your church and put that back in your brokerage account and rebuy the same things that Jesus gave assuming you want to you're not rebalancing and you want to to maintain that investment. Well, now if it's an investment you paid $10 a share for, and it's now worth $20 a share, and you just gave it all away, but you really like the investment and you think it has a lot of future growth potential, then you simply take the money that you would have given to the church and you put it in your brokerage account and buy the same investment back. So when you buy that investment back, now you're buying it at $20 a share. So later on, when you're ready to sell it, your basis for selling it is going to be $20 a share instead of your old $10 a share. So it helps you with future tax planning as well because now your basis in that in that same investment is now twice what it was before because you bought at the current price instead of at the um, still had it at the old price that you have. Uh, and so this is where I, I really want to caution people because uh, I know there's a lot of people that selling insurance and selling annuities that we're going to require you to take out money say you need to take out this lump sum out of your IRA because I'm going to because you're going to be killed on taxes later let's take it out now and we'll show you a way to pay the higher taxes by taking uh, loans out of the uh, life insurance policy and it'll change it all to tax deferred uh, money well if you don't need the life insurance now it's it can be a great way to leverage your your um, plan but I still wouldn't say take it out as a lump sum, you know, take it out in annual premiums. If you want to leverage your IRA to increase the amount of tax-free distributions that it's going to have, take a take an annual distribution from it that still keeps you in the lower bracket, make the premium payment, and then when you pass on, of course, the life insurance is going to come tax-free to your heirs. And so it, it can be a way to leverage it, provided you don't need the money to live off of, which can be a, a big caveat for a lot of people. So, whoa, that's a roadblock because I, I need the money myself. So um, I would just be very, 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 very careful about taking money out and taking a lump sum. No matter what they say about how the, you can take loans out later to pay those taxes, 
you're still, in my opinion, going to be better off taking the money if you want to do that and just transfer it into a Roth IRA without the, the cost of the life insurance in there because there's no way the life insurance policy growing tax deferred can grow faster in the same investment or even a better investment in a Roth IRA outside without that expense of the uh, life insurance. All right, so uh, another thing I want to share with people, and I'll share this real quickly when we get back from the break, and that's about if you happen to be turning seven and a half this year. This is a very important technique that you need to be aware of. I, I kind of hinted at it earlier, but I want to make sure we cover that. We'll cover that after the break. Of course, we want to answer your questions about IRAs or whatever you have questions about as it relates to money. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. We've got about 10 minutes here left in the final segment of Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller. I should say certified financial planner professional because the CFP board likes you to say certified financial planner professional or designee or something like that afterwards. It's not somebody trying to make themselves sound more professional than, than they should be by adding the word professional after certified financial planner. Is that the CFP board is pretty strict in how they want you to present that certification to make sure it's done legitimately for all the different legal reasons they say you should be doing that. But I've been a certified financial planner professional now for many, many years and uh, love to answer your questions. So then send that to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or just simply go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and click on the Ask Mike a Question button, and that'll get you right to me as well. So you have questions typically come in every week, and so we're starting off the new year, the 16th year of Talking Money, so we've answered a lot of questions. As a matter of fact, today we've been talking about some of the questions that we've gotten all the way back in 2007. We'll go through some other years in future broadcasts, but uh, this uh, questions today so far we've been covering uh, came in and were discussed by me on April 21st, 2007. Uh, so that was when I was probably 25, we'll say. So um, anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, you can't be that old, right? Um, as Paul's laughing in there. So the one thing I want to make sure that you understand, if you turn 70 and a half this year, and this gets missed uh, time and time again, I've seen it missed time and time again because people just don't think about it. Which, And, and sometimes even our clients, we miss it for them, but we need to make sure we, we try to tell every one of them. So if you're a giver, and let's say you give weekly or monthly to your church, you may do it online or whatever, and if you were listening to the to the segment right before this, you understand that if possible, you want to be able to take money from your, your deferred gain account. So if you have um, uh, taxable gains that uh, you've not paid taxes on yet, uh, so they're unrealized and they're in your brokerage account from mutual funds or stocks or whatever, then you give those assets first to the donor advised fund or directly to the church. 
And if it's a donor advised fund, then you can give out money regularly from the donor advised funds to whatever charities you want to do from uh, give to. And you would never give just write another check because you'd always be trying to defer and and eliminate the tax on those capital gains and then simply rebuy re those assets with the money cash you would have given to the charity. So if you're turning seven and a half, though, let's say you don't turn seven and a half till November 1st this year. So I'll make a lot of treasurers of churches, especially small churches, very uh, concerned, not necessarily unhappy once they understand what's going on, but concerned if it's a small church and you say, look, I'm not going to make any contributions to the church until November 1st, because that's when I turn seven and a half. Because it's not the year that you turn seven and a half, it's the day that you turn seven and a half. So if November 1st is the day that you turn seven and a half, then in, on November 2nd, you can make a huge contribution to the church for what you would have done for the whole year and do it all at once, but it's going to come from your IRA. And so when you're putting down the amount of money, and even though you're not required to take it out, it's still a great way to start taking it out. As soon as you turn seven and a half, start taking money out of that IRA and giving it directly to the ministries you were going to give to anyway. And then you take the money that you would have given out of your regular pocket and you can buy new investments outside the IRA, of course. If you're still working, you could make additional IRA contributions. But you you want to make, and there's some caveats to that too. There's some trade-offs. It's not a one for one. For one. And Alan Cox talked about that when he was with me last uh, November, I think it was, or first part of December. So be careful about that. But you can still make the same amount of, of purchase price with if you gave $30,000 out of your IRA, then you simply make a $30,000 investment. And you could even do that monthly to use dollar cost averaging. So your cash flow may not warrant or be able to cause you to be able to do a $30,000 one-time gift. But give it just start monthly reinvesting in the same investments that you had purchased, that you purchased originally inside the IRA or and, and that you're now giving away because you're not investing it anymore and just invest that outside. You, just, you, just, you won't get a tax deduction for it, but you get something better than a tax deduction. None of it's going to show up as taxable income to begin with, which is much better than a tax, uh, than a tax deduction. So uh, it's just what concerns it. And I would say have a conversation with the treasurer. If you're in a smaller church where your, your particular contributions make a big difference in the budget for that church, then let them know. Said, I turned seven and a half this year, uh, not till August 1st, July 1st, November, whenever it is. The worst part would be if it's you know, December 25th is when you turn seven and a half and you won't give anything all year, but then you give a big lump sum on December 26th. Uh, that's a, That'd be a, a day after Christmas present for them. But at least they'll know it's coming so they're not having to be concerned about changing the budget around and because they're so con they're so dependent on whatever your particular contributions are. But don't make a contribution. Don't write that check until age seven and a half. And, uh, and then you can go ahead and make that um, gift then, but make it out of your IRA. So uh, another technique to help uh, save some money. Okay, so uh, that was pretty much what uh, the main parts that I covered uh, April 21st, 2007. Fast forward a little bit to August. So on August 11th, and I had gone probably a year ago and gone through some of the archives on the outlines for Talking Money. And I'm not sure why I printed some of these out, probably because the questions that were there were more pertinent to even today. 
because obviously there's a lot of shows between April 21st and August 11th. But I think this was for this was was interesting because on August 11th, uh, now keep that in perspective. What was going on August 11th, 2007? You know, we hadn't had the big bank. Uh, Lehman Brothers hadn't gone out of business yet. That was still a little a month or so away, and so we didn't. Um, we didn't have that in there, but we we knew the the market was a, a, a little bit frothy, but still we didn't have the Great Recession starting yet. Uh, the Dow was twelve thousand eight hundred. Now keep that in perspective. Twelve thousand eight hundred is what the Dow was then, but it was on its way to I think about ninety six hundred the following March. So between August and March, it went from twelve eight to roughly ninety six hundred. And what did it feel like back then? I mean, it felt like the sky was falling. It felt like this was the end. Uh, stocks were never going to be able to rebound from this because the banking crisis was so severe and so deep. And and taking companies like Lehman Brothers and putting them out of business, that's a huge company to put out of business. And what's going to happen next? Well, that was an interesting time to be on the radio. I'd already been on the radio um, by that time. So January 2007. So then we had... Um, uh, actually, okay. So it was the, oh, okay. I missed, I missed my year. So it was 2008. Uh, I'm a year early. So 12,008 in August of 2007 and then 9,600. It took about a year and a half. So it actually went up some since uh, after then and then went to 9,600 by the time March of 2009 came around. I missed up my years there for a second, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm back with it now. A little senior moment, uh, but still the, the way we look back at some of these time periods and see what's about to happen. So I, we were about to, if we knew in August of 2007, what was about to happen in August and September of 2008, boy, we could have made a lot of money. We could have just sat on the sidelines and waited till everything went down 40% and then bought a lot of money, bought a lot of, a lot of things, and we would have been a lot better off. But we didn't know that at the time. And you never know that at the time, which is the danger of, of market timing. We just don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Looking back, we can have 2020. I mean, it's always 2020. But when you're in the middle of something, when you're in the middle of crisis, uh, we don't always see that. So we had, and, and I'll look at some more in uh, August of 2008. We'll share some of those uh, topics and future talking monies as we go through this year and, and reminisce a little bit going back on some previous years. But one of the questions we had back then, let's see what time we got, just a couple minutes, was uh, related to beneficiary designations. So this uh, one listener, IRA beneficiaries, there were each other as primary and had other family members as contingent, which is pretty common with people. You typically have a spouse as primary, and then you have your children or other family members as contingent. So one of the cautions uh, I'll give you today, and we'll continue this topic uh, next week, but one of the things I would caution people on, especially with second marriages, because I've seen this happen, is that you? If if you're just naming a current spouse or the second spouse, let's say you both have children from your previous marriages, and now, and it could be you're both the other spouses uh, died, or you're both widow and widower, or you've both divorced and now you have remarried, and you've got your your kids from both marriages, and so you you name each other, so you have separate IRAs, and you name each other as primary beneficiary, and you name each of your own children as contingents of your own separate IRAs which seems reasonable and seems like, okay, that takes care of the problem of making sure that my assets go to my kids and her assets go to her kids. Well, it is, is not a requirement. So you're going to have to make sure you really, really trust that new spouse. And I've seen outside influences come in after a death 
that have changed people's minds. And you thought, no, there's no way they're going to do that. And then a sister, a child from the other marriage says, okay, wait a minute. You don't have to do that. So when you change, the person dies and the primary beneficiary then becomes the owner of that IRA, they can name the beneficiary to whomever they want. They don't have to leave your kids as a beneficiary of your IRA. So then you have to to go a little more complicated and start setting up some trust if you absolutely want to make sure that your money goes to your kids when you die uh, and it's in an IRA. You're going to have to make sure some of those that assets are, are named in a trust and they bypass via trust and not by beneficiary designation because otherwise that surviving spouse could change the beneficiary to their own children and your children be would be essentially disinherited from that IRA. So a lot of interesting parts being moved around there that you got to be careful about. All right. Well, thanks for listening. 800-588-7526 is the number at the office. Give me a call. 